Open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1, beginning a brand new series this morning entitled Animal Kingdom. I've never preached anything like this. Um, I've already been getting ugly Facebook messages from cat people, you know, telling me that like no matter what, I can't say nasty things about cats for the next three weeks, which takes a lot of the fun out of this for me. I had some good ones. Um, but uh, I, I will refrain. I, I know you love your cats. I don't know how, but I know you love your cats. So uh, I'm sorry. And, and now I'm going to get in trouble again. Genesis chapter 1. No, I, I joke. I really, really, really love animals. And, and I know that I'm in a congregation for the most part that really, really loves animals. And I think that says something important about who we are and where we live and our attachment to the earth that God has made. And uh, so I, I think that just in a way, because of being country people and living close to animals, we probably know and understand some things that, that city folks just may not know and understand. And, and this is what we learn from living this close to the good things God has made. Um, I've just always loved animals. Uh, being a farm kid, I always, you know, live close to just farm animals. You know, not really pets. Although around our house, if it was at our house, I got really attached to it. Uh, I'm just that kind of wimpy kid. Um, cows, pigs, uh, chickens. We always had chickens. We had turkeys. Um, gosh, one time we had peacocks. Um, my dad's just piddled in farming and we've always had a little bit of everything. And I just always loved all of that. I just loved it. Now with that, pets, we always had pets. We never had any smart dogs. We'd usually get one from the Humane Society and then it would start killing chickens and dad would take it back to the Humane Society. Uh, that's how it worked at our house. We had tons of dogs. We always had barn cats. Um, I always had hamsters and guinea pigs. I mean, I just always had other pets in my room. Uh, hamsters, guinea pigs, gerbils, um, hermit crabs. I have had so many hermit crabs in my life and loved every one of them. Um, and then weird pets. I, I once had an owl uh, that, that got injured and I raised an owl. I fed it Alpo dog food. Alpo, I really did. Uh, Alpo dog food. Um, had a possum uh, at one point. Um, just uh, if it came around our house, we adopted it. Uh, I just always, always loved animals. Um, at one point, I, I was in 4-H. How many of you were 4-H kids? 4-H, is 4-H still around? Is this still a thing? Yeah, still out there. I was in 4-H. Uh, I was told I needed to choose a project, so I chose a, a, a bottle calf project, which means I was supposed to get a bottle, a, a calf straight from its mother, but I was going to raise it myself uh, by feeding it milk from a bottle, and I would feed it twice a day. And I mean, that, that's me. That's just, that, that was all about me. So I took the bottle calf project, uh, that meant I had to go buy the calf, which I did. And then I had to keep a project record book. They still do that in 4-H? That's still a thing? So I had a project record book, which was the place I was supposed to document all of the care and nutrition uh, for my calf. So I was all about that. So uh, we went to the stockyard. Uh, my dad and I uh, got a brown Swiss, beautiful little calf. I named her Duchess. Uh, and so by the time we got home, man, I'm writing in that book, you know, I, I, man, I'm all about that book. I wrote in there how I saw Duchess in the corner of the stall at the stockyard and I fell in love instantly. 
I wrote how she was small and brown, but had, you know, just the most beautiful eyes. And I wrote how my dad let me bid. I was bidding like a big man. I bid on that calf myself. I wrote in the journal how we ate in the stockyard cafeteria, which for a redneck kid is an awesome thing. I'm, I'm sure that, you know, but at that time, you know, it was all just, you know, that smell was part of it and it was awesome. So we ate at the stockyard, all of this. I wrote all that in my book. Um, and then I just started taking care of Duchess, y'all. I mean, Duchess and I were best friends. Uh, I went up twice a day at least to feed her. I went twice a day. But I'd go up, just hang out with her because, you know, that's how pathetic my life was. I would go up <laughs> and just sit at the barn and hang out with my cow, you know, as we do. And I was writing all this in my book. I mean, I was all about that book. I, would, I just started continue to write how our relationship developed, you know, how I would brush, you know, my cow's hair, which I, I would brush her and talk to her. And she would grow. And I wrote in there, you know, how everybody in the family loved her and how I could go out and I could go out and call her like a dog and she'd come running across the field to me. I wrote in there how she had begun to like Tootsie Rolls. You know, I just write all this stuff in my 4-H uh, project record book. So then the day comes when I'm supposed to bring in my record book for my 4-H leader to see, you know, before the big, you know, competition comes up. So I proudly put my book out in front of her. My 4-H leader starts thumbing through it and she says, what is this? I said, that's my bottle calf, you know, project record book. She said, but, but what is all this you've written in here? I mean, this lady was just not, she was ugly about this. She said, this is supposed to be a journal where you document your care and management skills for the animal. It's not supposed to be falling in love. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's the day I quit 4-H right there, y'all. I did, I quit 4-H, right? I mean, I quit 4-H because like, what's the use? You know, apparently I was supposed to like weigh the cow, like literally, like weigh the cow and then keep up with how much I fed her. I don't know how many titchy rolls that cow ate. No idea, <laughs> you, you know, but you're supposed to just keep up with all of this. So anyway, I flunked out of 4-H, went straight home, you know, went to the barn, gave her a titchy roll. I mean, you know, that, that's just how, how I rolled. Um, like a lot of you, I just, to this day, I still really, really love animals. I, I love the creatures that God has made. And, and I have a lot of questions about them. Every time a hamster died, I fell apart. Uh, you know, up like, I'm talking like last year. I mean, you know, I fall apart. And, uh, you know, I, I buried every animal, every hermit crab. I had a crawdad once. I buried it when it died. And it died the worst kind of death. Yo, my crawdad got out of its bowl, which wasn't in this Tupperware. It really wasn't an animal bowl. But the crawdad got out, we couldn't find it like forever. Like, where's my crawdad, you know? And so then one day my dad put on his shoe. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. I mean, it was just awful. Um, so I killed a lot of animals uh, in, in my life as well. But I buried them all and I would just imagine one of these days I'm gonna go to heaven and, and I'm gonna, you know, there's a mansion over the hilltop built for me and I'm gonna walk in the front door and it's gonna be all these cages. You know, I just thought that's heaven. You know, the owl, the crawdad, the possum, and all these hamsters and duchess, you know. Um, so, but I'm a grown-up man now, and uh, I, I come to the Bible with, uh, with more of a reverence and a real desire to know the truth. So I'd like you to come with me uh, with this love of animals that we have and our love for the Word of God. And let's bring some of our best questions about creatures to the Bible and actually see what there is for us to know. The first question today is just simply, are humans and animals the same? For some of you, that may seem like an odd question. For others, that's a very critical question. And so I want us to go first to the book of Genesis today. 
and talk about how we are like and how we are not like any of the other creatures God has made. I'm not going to read the whole creation narrative. I could. It's amazing and glorious. Well, let's just drop in at verse 20, the fifth day of creation when God begins to make the creatures. Genesis chapter 1, verse 20. This is so good. (laughs) Then God said, Let the waters swarm with fish and other life. Let the skies be filled with birds of every kind. So God created great sea creatures and and great sea creatures, y'all. Like, doesn't it seem like every week some ugly something washes up out of the ocean? We're just all like, what is that? I mean, you know, there are things, there are still things that God has made that we haven't even seen or discovered. And I love that. A lot of them are probably in Logan County, but, but... But what God has made is just so amazing. God created sea creatures and every living thing that scurries and swarms in the water and every sort of bird, each producing offspring of the same kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply. Let fish fill the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. And evening passed and morning came marking the fifth day. Then God said, let the earth produce Every sort of animal, each producing offspring of the same kind, livestock, small animals that scurry along the ground, and wild animals, and that's what happened. God made all sorts of wild animals, livestock, and small animals, each able to produce offspring of the very same kind, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, and all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, govern it, reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. Then God said, look, I've given you every seed-bearing plant throughout the earth and all the fruit trees for your food. And I've given every green plant as food for all the wild animals, the birds in the sky, the small animals that scurry along the ground, everything that has life. And that is what happened. God looked over all he had made and he saw that it was very, very good. I love that. I, I, I love that. Now, let's just start with probably the most basic question in the world and a very fundamental question for, for everything that follows in Christian doctrine. And, and it's just basically this, what is, what is, what is there? What is real? What exists? What is? And the basic answer to that from the book of Genesis is, is there two categories, two essential categories of existence, of isness? You ready? And there is first God, and then there's everything else. It's two basic categories, God and everything else. First, God. Understand, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. In other words, when everything else started, God already was. God has no beginning. God has no end. God is outside of time. He's outside all of the laws and forces of the material universe. He made everything. He made everything out of nothing. 
So, so just understand that with the very power of his word, he just speaks and, and everything explodes out of nothingness. And it's just the most mind-blowing thing to this day to understand this basic concept that everything has its beginning, its source, its life, its future in the Lord, in the maker, in God who is creator of everything. There is God. God is beyond our words. He is beyond our imagination. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. I mean, we just can't know anything about God. He's that far beyond us if he didn't choose to reveal himself to us. Understand, he is just absolutely beyond us, not available to our senses. God, indescribable, amazing. It's just absolutely impossible to capture the power, the majesty, the essential being of God. He is, and everything else has its source in him. So if you're going to talk about what is, you first have to say God. I mean, God is. And when everything else is gone, God still will be. I mean, God is God. You understand? So there is God, and then there is everything else, literally. Everything else. In the beginning, God created what? Everything else. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 says God created the heavens and the earth. So now we're talking about everything else, but that's everything that we know. That's everything that we know. God created everything else. So first, the heavens. So we have to understand that God created this, this first, this spiritual universe, it's, it's the kingdom where God himself dwells. And, and from what we know in scripture, this in itself is a full and diverse and an amazing kingdom, an amazing realm of existence. It's the spiritual realm. It's not available to us. We can't see it. We can't visit it. I mean, it's just not a part of our existence. And yet it is real and it is there. And it's the realm where God dwells. Now, we know that this spiritual realm in itself is, as I say, a full creation. We know that there are creatures there. I mean, the Bible sometimes pulls back the curtain and lets us see these amazing heavenly creatures that, that there's nothing like on earth and indescribable to us. But, but there is this, this spiritual realm with angels and principalities and powers and forces that are absolutely beyond our understanding. Not a whole lot we know. Then, like I say, other than what God chooses to reveal, but there is a spiritual realm that, that we know very, very little about. So God creates the heavens for the spiritual realm. And then by heavens, we could also say, you know, everything that we know of the universe. And God made all of that. It is impossibly large for us to describe. The, the distances, the vast emptiness of space, the way space itself reveals these amazing spanses of time and distance. It's absolutely, absolutely beyond our knowing. And, and yet science continues to, to plumb the outer edges of the universe. It's just amazing. It's all beautiful. And God made all of it. God knows about all of it. I mean, you can buy the cheapest little telescope at Walmart, and if you get it in focus, you can see from your backyard the rings of Saturn. Like, like you can see the rings of Saturn. It's just the absolutely most amazing thing in the world. What God has made in the heavens is just it's just amazing. This past week, we got our first sort of close-up view of the face of the sun. Did you see that? And it just looks like these, these giant, you know, pools of, of liquid hydrogen, but each one, they, they say the size of the state of Texas. Oh, it's amazing. 
flowing rivers of water on the planet Mars, all of this that we discover, but understand God made and God knows all about and every single corner of this universe gives him glory, it brings him praise. So there's the heavens, the constellations, the planets, our solar system, everything pertaining to the atmosphere. God made all of that. God made all of that, spoke it into existence. The heavens and then the earth. This big blue marble we call home. God made it. And he made it perfectly for us. I mean, by mathematical likelihood, we assume that there could be other planets like Earth, call them Goldilocks planets, you know, not too hot, not too cold, but just right, you know, that, that sort of thing where life could, could persist. But so far, we haven't discovered any, which is just amazing to think that could all of this, you know, in all this universe, could we really be the only, only real planet, the only real place where God has really chosen to focus his redemptive attention and affection. It's just amazing, but the earth is our home and God created it for us, for his glory. The earth with its skies and its seas and its soil from which everything that is just begins to find its being, its nurture, its home. God just speaks it into existence. Microbes, tiny little things that we can't even see. With the cheapest microscope you can get from Walmart, you can take a drop of pond water from behind your house and discover a whole new universe of of beings that you didn't even imagine existed. You're drinking them all the time. Amoebas and euglenas and all of these things with microscopic hair and giant eyeballs. It's just the most amazing thing in all of the world. You don't know about it, but God knows about all of it tiny microscopic life and and then tiny little single-celled organisms and plants and viruses and all the way up the chain, it starts to build. The book of Genesis explains how God just steps out and says, let everything be filled, just filled with life. Let the oceans be filled with animals. Like he didn't just create like, you know, Nemo. And then, you know, he just like, just fills the sea with with living things. And as I say, some of these things we haven't even discovered yet. Things that live down in the bottom of the ocean with, you know, giant eyeballs and they glow in the dark and teeth. I mean, it's just amazing, amazing. Giant squid the size of the sanctuary. God knows all of it. God created all of it with his words. Just said, let it be filled. And then he looked up in the sky and said, let the sky be filled with every kind of bird every kind of bird. And then the earth, let it just begin to crawl with things, little creepy crawly things, snakes and spiders and ticks, wombats and groundhogs and moles and voles and cats and dogs and chickens and turkeys. And God just with his infinite imagination calls all of this into existence just fills the earth, fills the earth with living things. And God takes delight in all of these things. Now you could argue whether the creation would be just as good if he'd made fewer things or maybe just one kind of thing, like maybe just us, you know? But something tells me that this creation that God says is just very good, this diversity is part of what makes it good. The fact that everything that he has made reveals some aspect of his creativity, his imagination, his delight, his love, his freedom to create his power. It's also good. Plants and animals and everything that scurries and birds and fish. And then 
notice, it's, it's just so amazing. Everything sort of comes to this amazing, dramatic pause. And then God says, now, let's make human beings. Just amazing. What is God and everything else? And you have to understand, we're a part of everything else. We're a part of everything else. And now when I say that in itself, that, that, that can be very, very controversial because of the sort of battle between science and religion. And y'all should know by now, I'm not fighting that battle. I, I'm just not. I don't even really in some ways understand it. Now there are atheists out there who want to deny the very existence of God and I'd like to argue with them. I don't have any argument with faithful scientists who just tell us what they see. If you're interested, I'm an old earth creationist, which means I believe that God created the heavens and the earth. Everything that is comes from him. He is the maker of everything. But I also believe, as the scriptures say, that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And so you can trust. I mean, the book of Psalms talks about how day after day, all of this just pours forth speech. There's a sort of testimony that creation itself has about its origins, about its maker. And for the most part, I think we should pay attention and listen and try to understand what it is that the earth can tell us. I mean, this is science and there's nothing anti-God about just looking at the earth and learning and studying and, and, and we can believe what it says and continue to try to deepen our understanding I mean, science is one of the ways that we can understand more and more of the power of our maker. I don't struggle at all with this. I hope you don't either. Now, we can disagree about how all of this, you know, comes into being. Genesis isn't trying to be a science textbook, but it's trying to tell us the things that science could never tell you. And that's the part of it. I never want to give up. I never want to stop confessing. So understand when you talk about everything that is, there's God and everything else. And, and we're a part of everything else. We really, really are. You know, Francis Collins, who is a very, very fine and devoted Christian man, also one of the leading scientists in the United States, and he led the Human Genome Project. He, he led it as a faithful man of God and a faithful man of the Bible. So we've come to understand more and more about our, our genetics, our DNA than, than in any previous time in history. And you know, one of the things we've learned is that like half of your DNA, like half of it, you have in common with everything. Like, like you are 50% identical to one tablespoon of pond scum. Like, it's just true. It's just, it's just true. You say, well, I don't like that. Well, you know, I don't like it either. You know, that, that doesn't flatter me. But it's the truth. 50% of, of, of our DNA is we have in common with everything that, that is. And then 75% of your DNA you got in, in common with every living thing. Like stink bugs. I mean, you know, like 75%, it's just identical. And then you start crawling up the chain there, like orangutans, you're like 97% identical to an orangutan. And I've seen your kids in the nursery, I'm believing it. You know, 97%, and like, you're like, what? You know, there's something insulting about that, but no, I'm telling you, there's God and everything else, and you're a part of everything else. 97% in common with an orangutan. And then as it goes on up, 98.5% of your DNA identical. Not like similar, identical to a gorilla. And then chimpanzee, it's like 98.9%. There is very, very little that, that, that makes you different from a chimpanzee. I can tell. It's removed by that news. 
What you have to understand is we have more in common with our fellow creatures than we do with our creator. Now, I'm about to talk about how we are like our creator, but you, you first have to accept this. There is this vast, vast, vast gap between you and God. And you are much, much closer to a tablespoon of pond scum. You're more like a tablespoon of pond scum than you are like the God who made all of this. Understand that. There is a vast, vast distance between his existence and mine. I have much more in common with everything else on this earth that he made. You understand? We are creatures of the same dust. This is what Genesis teaches. Genesis doesn't use the word DNA, but Genesis makes it very, very clear that we're all creatures of the very same dust and we have more in common with all the other creatures of dust than we do with our creator. We're made of the same dust and when we die, these bodies go back to that dust. I mean, it's just the fact you'll be food for worms, your body, one day. So we are very much like everything else that God has made. And that's not intended to insult you or make you question yourself. It, it, it's just the fact. You are a part of all of the good things that God has made. So, so how are we different? But because the question is, are, are humans the same as animals? And the answer to that is, well, no. No, you're more like your fellow creatures than you'll ever be like your maker. But, but, but understand, at the very same time, you're not like other creatures at all. There's something that sets us apart, and this is what you have to understand. So creation itself comes in this sort of screeching halt, and God stops everything and says, now let us make, let, let us make human beings. Let, let us make man. Let us make Adam. Let, let us make human beings in our own image. This is different. Well, what did he say before? He just said, oh, let the earth produce every sort of animal. I mean, he speaks it into existence, but then the earth just begins these cycles of life and, and procreation. Just let the, let the earth begin this process. Let the earth produce every sort of animal, each producing offspring of the very same kind. I mean, they're all beautiful. They're all good. They're all by God's design. But it's different when he makes us. It's different. God says, we're, we're going to make something in our own image. And, and then it gets personal. It gets intimate. You know, God stoops down and God begins to form like an artist, like a potter. God, God forms the man out of the dust of the ground. It's personal. It's intimate. God gets his own hands in the mud. You understand? And, and, and the relationship between God and the human being, it, it's different. From the very beginning, it's different. And then God breathes his own breath into the man and the man becomes this living soul. I'm telling you, from the very beginning, we're not like other things. God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. Verse 26, they'll reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth and the small animals that scurry along the ground. Verse 27, so God created human beings in his own image, in the image of God. He created them, male and female, he created them. So if you want to talk about what makes us different, the way to say it is that you and I are created in the image of God, in the very image of God. Unlike anything else in all creation, we are made in the image of God, unlike anything else in all creation. So again, we're more like everything else than we are in existence before God. But at the same time, unlike everything else, we are made in his image. 
What does that mean? To say we're made in the image of God, what exactly does that mean? Because honestly, the Bible doesn't go on to explain that. We, we know that it's major. We know that it's important. We know that it's what distinguishes us from every other kind of creature. But what does it mean? Theologians, pastors, Bible readers through all the years have tried to fill in those blanks and explain it. And, and I guess that no matter what you say, you're probably going to get to some part of the truth. Some say, well, human beings are different because of our capacity to worship. And I think that's true. I've had a lot of animals in my life. I've never seen any of them fold their little hooves in prayer, you understand, or or worship their creator. I I think we have this ability by the image of God to know and understand and relate to God. Our our capacity for love, perhaps, is different from what you would find in the animal kingdom. Uh, Some say things like our capacity to laugh, like you don't find animals that laugh. And that's weird and interesting, but I don't know if that has anything to do with anything. Some say our capacity to be bored, that, that, that we are somehow created higher. And so for that reason, we, we have a purpose. We, we, we must live our lives in such a way where we feel like we're accomplishing something. And that capacity for boredom is what sets us apart. I don't know about that. Honestly, I'll be honest. I'm not real satisfied with anything I've ever read about what would define the image of God. Because I think, I think that no matter what, You've got to let the gospel interpret Genesis. I think you've got to, I mean, this is a Baptist principle of biblical interpretation. We always let Jesus be what makes us understand everything else. So let's have some fun with the Bible. Turn to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 is a verse we have to, we have to insert right here. Colossians chapter one, verse 15. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. So we are created in God's image for sure, but the only one that ever has perfectly reflected this image of God on earth, it's not one of us, it's not Adam, it's Christ. Christ is the perfect image, the visible image of the invisible God. So it is in Christ that we can most fully understand what it means to be in the image of God. So we have to define it, um, the theological word be Christologically in terms of Christ. Colossians chapter 3, verse 10, while we're here, I just think it's beautiful. Again, let the gospel interpret Genesis for us. Colossians chapter 3, verse 10 Put on your new nature, that's the nature of Christ. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and be like him. So whatever it means to be made in the image of God, whatever it is that sets us apart, it's got to do with what God does for us in Jesus. It's got to do with his incredible gospel attention and affection for us. It's certainly got to do with our volition, our decision to turn away from him, but also God's purpose from the very beginning to bring us back and to have us reflect his righteousness and holiness in Christ. Okay, I just went deep, I understand, but, but I, want you to, I want you to think that through. I want you to understand that whatever it means to be in the image of God, we need to think of that in terms of Christ and not just in terms of science or Adam or weird things about how people are weird. You understand? It's Christ who helps us understand what it means to be made in the image of God. 
We are created to bear the righteousness and holiness of God in Christ. So just a couple of things. What does it all mean? First off, you're made higher. You are a creature of dust like all of the other things that God has made, but you are still made higher. You are higher. You're created in the very image of the God who made you. Breath in your lungs is holy. It's from him. Your source is in him and your future is in him. God made you higher. Second, God placed you over. You're placed over. And this is the part that makes people very nervous these days, probably because as human beings, we haven't been very good stewards of the earth that God has given us, this dominion over. But it doesn't change the fact, actually maybe it increases our responsibility here to recognize that we're placed over. I mean, it's very, very clear. God bless him, verse 28, and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it. Subdue it, have dominion over it, reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, all the animals that scurry along the ground. You're not simply another animal here. Do you understand that? God has made you higher and God has placed you over. In some ways, I guess we're like the big brother of all the other creatures. We are responsible to care for them, to to nurture them, to, to be good stewards of everything. Now, we can talk about this later. Obviously, God has given us animals for food, and we're free. It's permissible to eat animals. But the very same time, we're supposed to care for and nurture everything. In the book of Deuteronomy, there's this particular law in the Old Testament that tells you exactly what to do when you're walking in the woods and you find a bird's nest. And and spoiler alert, you have to respect the eggs, the mother, the babies. I mean, you respect life. You respect everything that God has made. You just can't do everything that you want to do. You have to have respect because everything that is, it has its source in God. You understand? And you respect the life of everything. So the fact that we're placed over, the fact that we have dominion, the fact that God says, I want you to reign and govern, that does not mean that we reign with cruelty. It means that we reign with an awareness that we're created in the image of the God and who uh, finds delight in everything that is made. We use this dominion with this awareness of the righteousness and holiness that that Christ brings. And therefore, we become very, very faithful stewards of this garden that God has left us to care for and to govern. Does that make sense? You're placed over. That gives us a tremendous responsibility. You're made higher. You're placed over. And you're worth more. You're worth more. It's not my opinion. It's what God says. I mean, it's, it, it's absolutely amazing. In the book of Matthew, in the gospel of Luke, which we read together Wednesday night, you know, Jesus himself would say, you know, why do you worry? Do you not see the sparrows? You know, a sparrow, what are they, two for a penny, Jesus says. But there's not a single sparrow that falls that God doesn't notice that. So how much more will he care for you? Because you're worth more than a flock of sparrows, Jesus says. You're worth more. Now, there's so much in what Jesus says here, I think that's so amazing. First off, what Jesus says is, is that God has this very personal awareness and attention for every creature. That God will personally attend the funeral of every single sparrow that falls. I think that's amazing. 
That the, the creator has that kind of infinite love and knowledge of everything that he has made. I think that's beautiful. But then when you add all of that up and, and then they hear Jesus say, but, but you're worth more. You're worth more than anything else in all creation. You are worth more. Worth more to him. Do you understand that? Jesus said, this God who attends the funeral of every single sparrow, he knows the number of hairs on your head, which is one of the ways that Jesus is saying, he knows things about you that you don't even know about yourself. His knowledge of you is infinite. You're worth more. Worth more than anything else in all creation to the God who made you, you're worth more. So this uh, incredible love that, you and I have for animals, some of us anyway. Can we at least recognize that, that that is some reflection of the God who made us? Because he loves the animals like that. He takes great delight in all of them. And, and that part of your heart that loves them, that, that just takes such joy and pleasure in their lives and in caring for them, uh, that's one of the ways that you perhaps resemble most your heavenly father who loves and cares for all the flowers and the birds and everything else in all creation. You're like him in that way. But can I suggest something to you? Um, some of us, I think, begin to love animals too much. I think you can love them too much. I think that there are those of us who say, well, I love, you know, I love animals better than I love people. You know, and some of you, there are wives in this room who'd say, I would give anything if my husband would speak as sweetly to me as he does to his dog. Right? That's not a joke. There are women in this room who would say that. I, I, wish, I wish he would care for me the way he cares for his animal. And this is just what I want to suggest to you, that, that if you can get so much joy out of loving something that is so much lower and it is so much lower. If you can get that much pleasure out of loving an animal, a cat, a dog, a chicken, Sylvia Harris has a turkey that sits in her lap like a daughter. Okay? <laughs> if you get a dozen eggs from Sylvia, it might have a turkey egg in it. You just sort of go with it. You know, just sort of go with, with that. If you can get so much pleasure out of loving something so much lower... Can you imagine the joy you would know if you could learn to love the one who is so much higher? You were not created simply for the love of animals. You weren't created simply for the love of the earth that God has made. You were created to be the object, the recipient of all of the attention and affection of the God who made it all. Not just created to love your pet. You're created for the love of God. And in all of this creation, everything that he has made, you're still, in his eyes, worth more. Pray with me. Lord, there are those of us in this house who struggle with relationships. We struggle with loneliness. We struggle with love. Or some of us struggle with just understanding our place in this world. We struggle, Lord, with understanding why everything is the way it is. Some of us don't even understand what is. 
But God, I pray that you would just simply begin to give us clarity. Lord God, who made us speak softly into our hearts and help us to understand how you made us and why you made us and what sets us apart from everything else that you have made that you would give your son Jesus to die for us. Lord, forgive us for giving our worship, our attention, our affection, our love to all these things that are so much lower than you. Lord, help us, Lord, to continue to love and care for and nurture creation as you have asked us to do. But Lord God, may we always, always see that you are higher, that your love is greater, that your knowledge of us is infinitely deeper. Lord, help us to recognize that we were made for you to reflect your glory to bear your image, to know you, and become more and more like you. God, there is a vast, vast distance between what we are and what you are. But we long to know you. We long to love you. And one day, Lord, we will be like you because of Jesus, in whose name we pray.